This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Today on Basic, Nick Kroll. I did a, a stand-up special called Thank You Very Cool for Comedy Central. And it was my stand-up, but I was also doing, I had been doing a lot of character work. And so... I pitched this sort of hybrid stand-up special slash characters, including Oh Hello with Mulaney. It's going to be a sketch show, but it's going to be these recurring characters. Then we also did this very like lo-fi public access show called Too Much Tuna, where we would prank people with Too Much Tuna Fish. We would have a talk show where you'd be at a cafe and and then they'd be bringing the, and be like, I'm here with Jen and I'm here with Jen and... We're talking to Doug as well, and then now and this is, uh, well, this is too much tuna. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and ah, Jen, this is just too much tuna. It is too much tuna, and I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and yes, I do have my own hormone monstrous. <laughs> Jen, today we welcome Nick Kroll, the podcast. Let's not say podcast. Shouldn't we say podcast? If it's Nicole, <laughs> I believe that's the proper terminology. The, the podcast? Yes, the podcast. So we welcome Nick Kroll to the podcast. Um, and I'm sure our listeners know him from The Kroll Show, from Comedy Central, The League, uh, from FX. But uh, his biggest hit may be the one on uh, Netflix. That's right. Nick is the co-creator of the hilarious Netflix series, Big Mouth. We're going to talk about that and the other shows we mentioned and a lot more with Nick. And then Doug and I will be back at the very end to offer our in-depth analysis of Bobby Bottle Service. So, Nick Kroll, welcome to Basic. We are extremely excited to have you on the podcast. And we always ask our guests a first question initially, which is, are you old enough to remember when you first got Basic Cable? Or if, if not that, at least what you watched on, on Basic Cable when you were young? I, yes, to both, because we were not a cable house growing up. I was a ABC, CBS, NBC, WOR, WPIX, um, and that was about it. Two, four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and 13, a tri-state area, and we were not a cable household. Then I think we didn't, my first cable wasn't even basic cable, it was, I think, like, we had like uh, we got the first version of direct TV satellite TV mm-hmm. when I was like 19, like when I was leaving the house and I was like, I can't believe I cannot believe <laughs> that this is when we are finally getting cable. I had specific friends only because they had cable that I hung out with them. <laughs> like to, I'm assuming like to watch MTV or yes. whatever it was in those days. Right. Yes, exactly. So like Andrew Goldberg, who I created Big Mouth with, who's been my childhood, my friend since I was in first grade, he was a cable house. I would go there and watch a lot of MTV. Do you still do you still go to his house to watch cable? Uh, no, I think we all, uh, let's see. He we goes have, to his I, house to create television now. Yes, we, we go to, we, I go to his house to create streaming, to, to, uh, to no longer work in cable. <laughs> 
So wait, so just to, just to know, there you go. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So you managed to get out of the house ultimately, mm-hmm. despite the fact they wouldn't let you watch TV. Yeah. And work your way to Georgetown University. Yes. Now, Mulaney went there too. Correct. Did you guys meet there? Were you this in the same era? How did that work? Oh, yeah. Well, my freshman year, I did this thing called the Funniest Act on Campus, uh, which I bombed doing. But I met Mike Berbiglia, who won the competition. And then Mike and a bunch of our friends, who his friends who later became my friends as well, Brian Donovan, Ed Harrow, Allison Becker, a, a really group, a wonderful group of super talented people, did a sketch show. And I because of this funny stack on campus audition for the sketch show, uh, did that. And then the next year joined the improv group with that whole crew. So I met Mike and, and all those other folks, my, my freshman year. And then when I was a senior, I was the head of the improv group and I cast John Mulaney and Jacqueline Novak and, and a bunch of other very talented people I didn't cast, but those two particularly were freshmen when I was a senior. So I be, yes, I met John when, we crossed over for a year and, and, and started working together then, uh, as, as friends and, and also just writing and performing together. It was a very weirdly fruitful, uh, place for us to find comedy. Yeah. That... Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, can you remember when you started working with John, did you immediately have a sense of like, okay, this guy and I have kind of the same sensibility, sense of humor, or did it take a while to kind of get to know each no, other. it was immediate i mean i i remember in his audition for the improv group he did a scene with this other guy and i was like wow this scene is so f- these two guys are so funny and then i was like well let's see how they are on their own and i sp- did you know you paired them separately and the other guy was fine and john was still like cosmically funny and it was very clear right away that he was an incredible talent. And then as the year went on, we realized how how similar our sensibilities were. And, and we started writing together, even in college. And then when I graduated, I moved to New York and he like worked at, interned at Comedy Central. He, well, uh, he, the intern, he used to answer my phones. Yes, I know. Yeah. I know. What? I didn't know this. And I think I think he claims in a bit that he's the one who took the phone call about Chappelle yes. disappearing. <laughs> yes. And came and told me. Yes. I believe, yeah. I believe he was living on my couch when that <laughs> happened. Being and tortured so, by Lou Wallach daily. Yes. Yes. I think it was, uh, it was, a, it, it was, it was fun, you know, cause I had, John was interning there. Conrad Mulcahy, who's another guy who I went to college with, was working there as well with, Jesse Klein, who I was working with, you know, I had met in New York and she was still an executive, but then also was doing stand up and writing. And um, so I so that was sort of the scene you fell into right in New York, right? Jesse and John and yeah, those yeah, folks. yeah, we I moved to New York and 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 just started doing open mics, you, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, anything and everything. And John lived with me that summer i don't know like of his like junior year and was interning at comedy central and we were going and doing open mics and i was meeting like jesse and and chelsea peretti and um and And asking asking me for my bar mitzvah pictures yes hounding doug herzog (laughs) for his bar mitzvah pictures which was an amazing frankly an amazing way in to like to get access to you at that moment was incredible and and i will just to say doug you were incredibly generous and kind and patient you know like 
with someone who's just starting out, you were very nice. Well, uh, just to, just to, yeah. So just to, so everybody understands. Yeah. Why did you need his bar mitzvah pictures? <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. There you go. That's the question. So the one, the first thing I kind of ever did before I had, you know, been able to make my living actually doing comedy comedy. I did a, a coffee table book with my my brother-in-law, Roger Bennett, who has since gone on to create Men in Blazers, a very, very successful podcast and television show that's based around the world of like Premier League soccer and, and sports and stuff. He's an English Jew and uh, Jewel Shell, who he had worked with uh, in his previous career nonprofit. And the three of us created this website that then became a book called Bar Mitzvah Disco. And it was people's pictures and stories from their bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs from largely from the 70s to the 90s and doug was i was the 70s <laughs> he was the 70s <laughs> doug was incredibly he was a, a really important actually his his pictures were amazing his stories were amazing and they're really they really did capture a specific era that we didn't have really great uh, photos and recollections of. I know it's New Jersey. I'm trying to remember the town because I have a very clear... Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, you were in a few different spots in the book. Your pictures, I, you had a white suit. Um, I don't. I uh, yes, that was my evening wear. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. you had two. You had the, there was the, there was the <laughs> a couple of outfits. There was the daytime look for the service, <laughs> but then the evening wear. And and I remember you talking about living in a somewhat integrated town, which wasn't yes. entirely common. So like for a, a lot of the bar mitzvah pictures that we got where it's like a bunch of little white Jewish kids and and Doug had actual some level of integration with black kids and white kids. And, and it looked like an episode of the Cosby kids, but uh... <laughs> it really did. It was anyway. So it, it was so that was my that was like before I was making a living doing comedy, we 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 hatched this idea for a coffee table book and, and got a deal um, to make a book. And, and it, and it, it was a great first thing. It, 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 it taught me at the beginning of how to like produce something, whether it's a book or, or a TV show or a web series or anything. And also like connected me to people like Doug. And that was the beginning of having like a, you know, that was like, that was like a felt like a big deal of having a, a weekly place on TV where people could see your name and then from there, I started coming out to L.A. to audition for pilots. And I booked my first real pilot season in L.A. I booked a show called Cavemen. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Right. I forgot that based on the commercial. I forgot about that. Based on the, the very successful, very well re regarded, uh, critically acclaimed commercial for Geico of Cavemen. They made a show out of it, which I still contend was actually not a bad show. It, it was reviled. But it was, <laughs> but it was my joke about it is like, you know, the critics didn't like it. But what oh, what I always took solace in was that the public hated it also. Um, <laughs> uh, the next year, it was about a year later. I was doing kind of a bunch of different stuff. Then at that point, the next year I booked the league um, and started that. I think that's probably like. 2009 ish or something mm -hmm. like that is fx considered basic cable Where yeah, is that yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. well done well they're, they're they're the they're the basic cable channel that acts like a premium they indeed <laughs> but they are they are basic yes they are one of us as we like to say yeah, copy that so to pick up on something you said earlier you said the the league was loosely scripted and i've always wondered just how loose was it 
it was outlines. I mean, we were given we were given 12 page what would turn out to be like 12 to 15 page scriptments is what I would call them. Mm -hmm. Um, So the scenes were beaded out, but every scene, you know, and and they had jokes they would want us to hit. And, but they, there was never a moment where they weren't happy to have that joke beaten. So every scene, it's very much like curb. I mean, it's the same Mm -hmm. sort of system as curb has. There's a lot of jokes and there's really scenarios that they want to hit. But as far as jokes go, you know, specifically about some, what someone was wearing or or references being made, there was an incredible amount of uh, liberty to find it. Mm-hmm. Felt, felt watching it like a great organic ensemble, even though it wasn't necessarily organic, but it really it felt that way watching it that you guys it always looked like you guys were having a great time we had a great i mean the only paul and i knew each of the main cast paul and i knew each other and obviously katie and mark are married knew each other but the rest of us didn't know each other and it was pretty immediate that we found our rhythms and 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 i think the unifying factor of it being fantasy football which is so built on talking shit and 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 that in its in and of itself really lends itself to the kind of improvisation that we were doing um it really it it was very well um they they really they comp the whole system and structure complemented itself to 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 create the feeling of an ensemble group of friends and we all we all got along very well right away and and i have to say for seven seasons as a cat as a cast got along incredibly well Mm-hmm. Paul was Paul was in New York, right? When you were there with Human Giant and Aziz and those guys. Yeah, Paul Paul was in New York at UCB, and Jason was too, and 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 Aziz and Hubel, and and that right. was one of my first big things was the Human Giant. I was I I I pitched sketches to Human Giant and was on it briefly, uh, a, which was an MTV show, an MTV show, and the Human Giant Marathon is worth a look from you guys, uh, which was a 24 hour <laughs> marathon. They let MTV, the MTV let Human Giant take over MTV, and they were ran, they were on for 24 hours straight. It was a truly insane endeavor, and you feel us insane it was it felt like you were watching like an underground show at upright citizens brigade but it was being broadcast on live television there's there's only one that i think outdoes that at, around, probably a little before that they once handed the network over to courtney love for 24 hours <laughs> similar vibe which was historic yeah you, <laughs> similar, vibe. similar vibe well it's it's interesting you know you, we talked about john mulaney earlier we're talking about manzukis like you, you met you've met a lot of people along the way and like continued to have them be part of your Mm. obviously friends, but work landscape. I mean, is that something that you're always kind of thinking about in the back of your mind? Is this somebody that I want to continue working with? Can I use them? (laughs) Yes. Um, No, well, I think I... Well, they get me a free breakfast. Yes. It turns out that I've gotten them free. No, Um, I think, (laughs) yes, in in that, like, I have always been attracted to funny people in my friendships. So, you know, it's like I met John and I found him hilarious and, and vice versa. And I'm and I would watch Jason before I knew him or watch Paul and be like, God, this, these guys are so funny. And then, you know, we become friends and then you realize that, oh, we find each other funny. This is, of course, I want to hang out with this person. And then, you know, as you're making stuff, like for me, it's just oh, collaboration has just always been the central uh, driving force of my work. And I've been very lucky to be friends with 
who I consider to be the funniest people. Mm -hmm. And so as I have gone and done the various things I've done, I've always brought them with me because they're the funniest people. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Well, you know, we're, we're going to get to the the Kroll show in a second mm -hmm. but but um but one of the great things about the Kroll show was a couple of these bits you did that were two-handers right of course um, right so we'll, we'll of course we'll talk about Mulaney but you know Jenny Slate um, mm -hmm. and uh and then of course uh Rich Dix uh with um yeah John Daly John Daly yeah uh -huh. that that was that yeah uh, I'm sorry go ahead no no so I, well, well let's let's talk about the Kroll show so how did how did yeah. uh, how did that all get started yeah how did you pitch that I was doing the league, but I had simultaneously been doing, I did a, my, a standup special called thank you. Very cool for comedy central in God. I think it's now like 2011, 2012. And it was my standup, but I was also doing, I had been doing a lot of character work. And so I pitched this sort of hybrid standup special slash characters that were both live on stage and then also filmed bits, including, Oh, hello with Mulaney. And they were in the audience of the show. I did uh, this 
character Fabrice Fabrice that I've been doing a lot of. Who was the craft services coordinator for that? So Raven, uh, I was doing this character <laughs> Bobby Bottle Service, who was the head of security, who was like a Jersey Shore kind of character. And so I integrated them into this stand-up special simultaneously. Uh, at that moment, Comedy Central was flirting with you guys were flirting with doing like 15 minute programming. It was right as Adult Swim. That's right. Was starting to like yep. take hold as in live action and was having success with Tim and Eric and all these other shows that were kind of 15 minute chunks. So then we shot a pilot of Rich Dicks as a 15 minute show for Comedy Central. And ultimately, Kent and, and, and Doug and everyone there were like, we like this, but we <laughs> think that ultimately we'd rather have between what you shot as this thank you very cool with the special with all these characters and rich sticks we think a sketch show from you would probably be a better ultimately a, a better more fruitful fit you know so then we we went off and shot a pilot for that and what we what i i mean so what i we had the rich sticks this little pilot we had done we had the rich sticks sketch and then i had all of these sketches that i had shot on my own of fabrice fabrice uh you know interviewing steve carell for a press junket i had like uh, Bobby Bottle Service. We had shot this other thing with same with John Daly as Rich Dicks. We had shot this thing called the Ed Hardy Boys, and it was like <laughs> Bobby Bottle Service and his character was Peter Paparazzo, and it was the Ed Hardy Boys in the case of the missing sick belt buckle, and <laughs> and so we just and oh hello, Mulaney and I had shot some random oh hello pieces, and 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 also we had the special. So it was all these things, and we said you know it's going to be this, it's going to be a sketch show, but it's going to be these recurring characters. So as, as opposed to just one-off sketches that are premise-driven, these are going to be really character-driven. You're going to come back to some of the same characters throughout the run of the show, and it will be sort of different than other sketch shows. They, 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 had, they had arcs, right? Yes. What was the doctor? Uh... Yeah, they... Dr. Armand. Uh, Dr. Armand, yeah. Dr. Armand was a spinoff. So when we shot the pilot, we made Publicity, which was these two publicists named Liz. I brought in Jenny Slate, who I had been friends with from my early days in New York. She had just uh, was not returning to Saturday Night Live. And I was like, come play with me, do this. And she came in and we shot Publicity. And then that began to become the basis for all of these reality show spinoffs out of that. So publicity beget, beget Dr. Armand, a plastic surgeon for dogs that Jenny takes her dog to because she wants to get her dog red carpet ready for this crazy a can, a cupcakes for canine cancer. And it was Mitch Hurwitz, weirdly, the writer plays a character in the show because he was very close to John Levenstein, who's my showrunner from the Arrested Development and John Larroquette and years and years of, of working together. And then, so Dr. Armand then got his spinoff show about his family, Armand of the House, which then begat all these other spinoffs because then there's this character, Caesar, that I played. And it just, it just became this, at that time, it was when reality shows, and talking about basic cable, reality shows were spinning off and, and cannibalizing on themselves and, and consuming one another and spinning off these new things. It was like, you had the surreal life, which I love that show. Uh, it was, and then that begat like uh, flavor of love, right. and then that begat you know love and hip hop, love and hip hop, and then it was like right. and love, love, love and hip hop Atlanta, and it just keeps on going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. New York, New York loves whatever. Da, da, da. Like all of those, these, this 
you know, and the Kardashians were just starting. And, and so there were all of the, the, the Kardashians publicists were getting shows. It was all of that time when, and we really leaned into that um, as a one, because it was so felt very current Two, reality. There's a reason reality shows are so watchable and so cheap to make. And it was also a great opportunity because we had these insanely talented improvisers you know, that Jenny and I were very, had been good friends. And so we had the ability to improvise so freely. And when you're shooting reality style, you are shooting improv style. You've got three cameras Mm -hmm. going at all times. Uh, It can be messy. The coverage can be kind of hasty and it really lent itself to improvisation. And we were able to churn out a ton of content. You know, we could have a shoot, a setup in an office and shoot what ended up being 11 minutes of content in a day when you're trying to work with Doug Herzog budgets, you know, (laughs) uh, but you know, when you're working with, you know, basic cable budgets, even though comedy central was actually, I will say always supportive of what we needed to get the shows done Uh, emotionally, emotionally. Yes. (laughs) But it allowed the dollar. It really, those, those kinds of formats really stretch the dollar. How do we get, uh, to a dusty Upper West Side apartment or a New York deli and you and Mulaney and too much tuna. We, so we, I mean, before, again, before I moved to LA, John and I have been working together since college. And then we, um, Jesse, I, I was hosting a weekly stand-up show with Jesse Klein called Welcome to Our Week. And Jesse booked a part uh, of one as a writer performer on David Spade's show on, on, comedy central uh was was called hollywood minute no uh it wasn't called the hollywood minute but uh it was it was based on that yeah. i mean he, he was doing the hollywood minute i can't remember what it's called i'll think of it yeah second. and 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 so jesse had to move to la to take that job and so i asked john to step in to be my new co-host for this weekly show at rafifi and rafifi was this downtown club that we all met and performed at so john and i Instead of doing stand-up, we thought maybe we'd do these characters, these guys that we had always seen around New York who were, like, you know, obsessed with Alan Alda and, uh, <laughs> you know, wore turtleneck sweaters and and were, you know, just a men of a certain age. And, and, and we fell in love with them and we built these characters and we would host this weekly show where we would d- d- open the show and drink too much tuna. We weren't at – at first it wasn't a prank show. We just drank tuna. We would drink tuna teenies. And then <laughs> and then when we started doing Kroll Show, we knew we wanted to do that. We did we did both of both these like very sort of Woody Allen sort of real like love letter to New York sketches. But then we also did this very like lo-fi public access show called Too Much Tuna, where we would prank people with too much tuna fish. It it, it made very li- like I we were in the writer's room and John wasn't in the writer's room. It, he was I think he was at SNL at that point. And, and I remember talking to Levenstein and Kreisel and the rest of our writers being like, and John and I have this thing where we talk about too much tuna, like that we would have a talk show where you'd be at a cafe and then and then they'd be bringing the and be like, I'm here with Jen and I'm here with Jen and we're talking to Doug as well. And then now and this is uh, well, this is too much tuna. And then we were like, oh, that should be a prank show where they prank people with too much tuna. Uh, it, it it was incredibly silly. and But it was, of course, the most fun to do. And then 
What was so, and then it kept going. Well, what, yeah, well, had a life of its own. It, it, so we kept doing more of that throughout the run, all three seasons of Kroll Show. But then what was so weird was that, and we were told early on, frankly, by the network, I'll, and I'll absolve you from this, Doug, was that it was absolve like, him from nothing. Absolve him was that it, I said, absolve him from nothing. It, it was the concern was that it was too New York, uh, which it was. I mean, it was too, it was. To New York. And, um, and you know what they mean when they say to New York. Oh, yes. yeah. We yeah. all know what they mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that Mulaney was too Jewish in it. So, <laughs> Or they'll say too ethnic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it, but I but I, what I will say to, again, to, to Comedy Central's credit, they really never stopped us from doing anything. They were like, our thought is maybe this. You know what it was? It wasn't even Comedy Central at that point. It was like. Before that, like John and I tried to bring Oh Hello to the Aspen Comedy Festival, and they were like, it's too New York, it's too dot, dot, dot. And we're like, are you fucking kidding me? We're going to the Aspen Comedy Festival where the audience is all like Ralph Lauren Jewish cowboys, like who are just the wealthy cousins of Oh Hello. Okay, like whatever. Anyway, we so we that fueled us that we never got into Aspen with it, but. What was so weird was we did it, and what we found weirdly is obviously it resonated with people, but it resonated well beyond like our coastal, you know, elite. It was like I had like fifteen-year-old girls sending me like you know pictures on Halloween of them being like, "We dressed as George and Gill." Like it was this really <laughs> weird thing that resonated in a very surprising way anyone who's done a sketch show and you talk to whether it's you talk to Schumer, you talk to Key and Peele and Chappelle, Chappelle took it to the next level by leaving the country. But it's a it's a it's a draining. It's hard work. You you re, have to reinvent the show with every sketch. Yeah, it's, it's a, really it's a really it's a lot of heavy lifting. And, and 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 I was just mentally and physically and creatively exhausted. And I I I went you know i mean they might you guys might have been happy to say goodbye to the show at that point but i was sort of like I, i'm done i feel like we did 30 episodes we actually tied everything together in a nice way that felt like complete within the arcs of what we had built and i was like i gotta take some time down from all this and then well, that was a that was a great three-year healthy run yeah. which felt like an organic way to get in and get out and not beat it to death and you know you said what you had to say and yeah and I and I and I will say, in all honesty, like, you know, we were on at the same time as Key and Peele and and Schumer, and then simultaneous by the end of the run with with Nathan for You and Broad City had started, and it was a real. You guys, it was a good time. That was a good era. It was yeah. a really, and I and I'll say this, I, I I really believe, for a lot of reasons, I mean, you and Kent and everyone that you guys had been working together at the at the network. But I also really believe you hired people and you promoted, you created shows from people that you guys believed in and you let them make the show that they wanted to make. And you, you didn't try at in this very particular, and I will call it like a little golden era at Comedy Central, and I'll humbly put myself inside of it because we were on with all these other shows. But there was a real feeling of like, go for it go do what you want to do and you know occasionally be like does this work or whatever but like for the most part it was and i think the success of the network and the success critically and and 
and in the in the culturally was really present and and i and i think that was due in, in large part to the you guys letting us do the shows that we told you we wanted to make yeah and that was just to give credit where credit's due you've met you've uh uh, name check Kent a few times. Kent Alterman was the head of programming at Comedy Central, and he really presided over that that era and all those shows. and And he was great at finding great people and, yeah. and letting them do their thing, including he was real, himself. So he was a real fan, and yes. a, and 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 then a real uh, um, he's an advocate, an advocate. Yes, yeah, he was and, a great advocate. Having a sketcher at the same time as Key and Peele and Schumer, which were cultural forces at the time were really like hitting in such a massive way and i was very pleased with my show and i was very proud of it and i and i got a great response from it but i was looking at where they were in whether you know you know youtube hits or you know in the general cult cultural conversation and there were times where i was like oh man these guys like i don't feel like i've done what they've done and so i was also like Maybe I need to like, I don't think this is going to get bigger. And so maybe it's time to wrap this up and figure out what the next thing is. Smart. Yeah, smart decision. I want to jump also to talk a little bit about Big Mouth, um, mm -hmm. which has been incredibly successful on Netflix. Uh, and I've written about it quite a bit, actually. I've, I think it's a great show. Thank you. Um, but it's a show that requires you to play a character named Nick, who is bringing up all these issues that, you know, he's going through in puberty that are at least in part based on some of the things that you went through. And I know it's a writer's room where everybody's kind of like, revisiting that experience and, and plumbing it for material. Was it ever at all uncomfortable for you to do that? Or were you just all on board from the beginning? I mean, it was your idea. So it was it was me and and Andrew Goldberg and, and Mark uh, Levin and Jennifer Flackett. Um, they came to me with the idea for the show. This was actually right after John and I started talking about Oh, hello, almost at the same time, they came to me with this idea for an animated show about based on me and Andrew Goldberg's childhood uh, going through puberty. Andrew was a very early bloomer and I was a very late bloomer. And it was sort of about these two boys who were best friends who were going through these very different experiences, but both feeling alienated and alone, which is what, as we began to talk more and more about the show, realized like, oh, this is what everybody felt like, no matter where they fell inside of this spectrum of, of puberty and and adolescence and, and human sexual development and yeah it was constantly uncomfortable but also that's i it was so clear from the beginning that that's where the good stuff was mm -hmm. and what was interesting is as the show continued to go on and we started to explore it was much easier when it was like well yeah i had a, i didn't hit puberty and i had a you know i had, had a little boy's penis and i'd look at andrew and he had hit puberty and had a like a ton of pubes and like girls didn't look at me the same way and and andrew simultaneously was like i was covered in acne and i had slow dance with a girl and come in my pants you know all these <laughs> and all these things that were so embarrassing but so foundational and so rich and and what we i think when we started making the show we're like this seems fun but i don't think we quite realized until we started to really dig in how rich the material was we got a couple of questions before you go. Um, 
and this is going to air in uh, uh, September, but uh, I know you got a couple of things coming up. Um, yeah. Right. Including a film. Uh, you're in a film that was directed by Olivia Wilde. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, it's a movie called Don't Worry, Darling, uh, directed by Olivia Wilde. She's in it with uh, stars Florence Pugh and Harry Styles and uh, Chris Pine, Gemma Chan. Uh, it's uh, I, it's me and the best looking people on the planet. Um, and it's 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 a really fun thriller it's like a really olivia directed the shit out of it it's really beautiful and it's 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 exciting it's great looking i'm 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 very excited for people to see it i think it's a it's gonna i hope uh it resonates because i think it's there's some really cool stuff happening in it yeah, I love I, the trailer is amazing, and I I loved Booksmart, which she also directed. So I, yeah, I can't wait to see it. Me too. I was, and when I got the call, it was like, "Do you want to go be in Olivia's new movie? It's with Harry and Florence and Chris, and and you'll be playing Olivia's husband." I was like, "Fuck yeah!" It was like one of those <laughs> things where when you read the trades, you're always like, "That looks cool." Why? Why don't anybody? Why doesn't anybody ever ask me to do that? And then I got the call, and they're like, "Oh, they asked me to do that." um it was really fun i mean minus the fact that we shot throughout covid pre-vaccine is it also is it promoted as all the world's greatest looking people and (laughs) (laughs) that's that was my pitch they were like you know what we don't need to do that and then um and then i've got a stand-up special coming out my first one since thank you very cool on on netflix and this will this will come out later so it's on september 27th it'll be on netflix where did you where did you shoot that nick we shot at, i shot at the warner theater in in dc Yay. uh which is a beautiful have you been you know that theater sure i know that theater i I, I live in dc and i've gone oh, wow. up there it's a beautiful yeah. theater it's one of, it historically i've performed there a number of times throughout my career and i love i it's a it's one of the best and dc is a great comedy town mm-hmm. uh and i was supposed to shoot it two years ago pre-pandemic and um obviously everything got shifted and and so it's i will say what i'll say about the special is that really inspired by big mouth in a lot of ways and that it was a you know big mouth was this really autobiographical much more vulnerable piece of material and it and i saw how audiences responded to that more honest more you know forthright uh, with a lot more of myself in it. I had always sort of hidden behind the characters I was doing. And so I tried to take those lessons and, and bring that into stand-up. And so this hour is much more personal and much more self-reflective and, and really, especially over the last few years, is, you know, I, I don't really give a fuck about cancel culture. Like, I'm not particularly worried about it, but what I will say is that at, at a tricky time of what, who can say what, it felt very safe to make fun of myself. Like I never worried about the hour because I was like, well, this is all just, I am the, I am the butt of these jokes. Right. And, and so this is, this is the act that I saw at Largo a couple of months ago, sort of most of that. Yes. Yeah. Some version of it. Yeah. Some version. Yeah. Of yeah. It. yeah. I was gonna say you were, you were, you were pretty much the butt of all those jokes as I remember, at least that night. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's, and it's been, you know, evolving over the years because it's kind of the tour was called middle-aged boy. And it was really about, you know, I was in my forties and that I was still not quite a adult in all ways, but then, you know, I 
during the pandemic, I got married and had a child. And, and so that affected the material really in, in, informed the material. And so, um, so yeah, we shot it. Uh, Bill Benz directed, it was one of the Kroll show d- directors and editors and, and it'll be on Netflix. Yeah. In uh, September 27th. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I have one more question before we wrap, if mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. Earlier, when you were talking about Kroll show and just how much, you know, how much that took out of you, I'm wondering at this point in your career, could you see yourself doing a sketch show? Not exactly like Kroll show, but something like that again? Well, it leads into my final plug. Oh, which is beautiful. Well played. That uh, I knew it would do that. Yes. Uh, which is, I just have wrapped a sketch show that we're editing right now that is called History of the World Part Two. Uh, Mel Brooks came to me uh, to see if I wanted to do it as a show. Mel Brooks came to you. Wow, that's a sentence. No, uh, it's a, it's the <laughs> yeah. You still want to back that up a little bit, Nick? The craziest sentence. Yeah, it's the craziest sentence I've ever said. Frankly, <laughs> I brought in Wanda Sykes. And Ike Barinholtz and his writing partner, Dave Stassen. And we have made it for Hulu as an eight-part sketch show, eight-episode series. And inspired by, obviously, the History of the World Part One, the 1981 Mel Brooks sketch comedy film. And our goal was to sort of take that Mel's... Mel... And and Mel has been involved. He's narrating the show and um has been you know he's 96 and still still has fucking monster jokes and so it's and as a mel brooks is my most important influence to to be able to do anything for him was uh incredibly uh high praise so in other words mel brooks got me to go back to do a sketch so final question yes do you have an all-time favorite basic cable show? Not counting your own. I mean, obviously, of course. And, you know, look, Doug's got Doug's going to be happy either way with this because I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say the grind on MTV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I'm going to Eric Nice in the grind. And uh, I don't know. Is that your era, Doug? Were you oh, absolutely. Re- okay. We, when, the, when those kids finished the first season of The Real World, we didn't know what to do with them. So we started giving them jobs. There you go. And Eric Eric got a job on the grind. I yeah. had the grind workout on VHS okay. nice. that I used to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. So uh, that so the grind, obviously. Oh, obviously, sure. But I did watch the, you know, that was it was like the sexiest thing on TV at that point in certain ways. <laughs> so you, you don't really remember Club MTV. You're more of a grind era guy. I well, I do. I remember Club MTV. I also remember I was on the pilot for a, a prank show called Boiling Points on MTV. I went down to spring break and I thought I had made it because I was like it's two years out of college. And then they cut my bits out of the pilot and I was not I was not on the shows at the time felt truly crushing. Like my career <laughs> was over. Um you didn't know you had caveman to look forward to. I know, time, so. but I would say for me, when John Stewart took over the daily show, I was in college and I was doing improv and I was watching the, those first years of, at, when I was in, finishing college and then going into New York and it was Carell and Colbert. And it was, I, I, was watching the daily show every night and was like, this is what I want to do. 
like it was more in my like uh college like socialist moment right, of like right and i was doing a lot of media studies like i was reading a lot of like i was reading ad busters and i right. was like so that was right in the pocket it was right in the pocket and it was so and they were great they were so funny and so smart and so sharp and not everyone was doing it every night nobody was doing it like that every night yeah, it was just them at the time yeah it was them and it was so it was just so and all i could dream of when i graduated college was like maybe one day i'll get to write on the daily show or be maybe be a correspondent and and it it didn't it didn't work out uh but i was and i've been on now as a guest with trevor and but it was it was so to me that show was so important cuz all the like snl and mel brooks all that stuff when i was a kid was so important to me of forming my personality as a comedian right. and, and what I thought was funny. But that was the first show that I watched as like a, a burgeoning comedy person that I was like, wow, I you could sort of, you could sort of maybe see yourself there one day. I want maybe one day I could yeah. be something like this. And all I, and I was just like, I was just blown away every night by it. So I would, that I would say, well, two, two things. A lot of people on our show have trouble, you know, between the grind and the daily show. So I was, I was happy to hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's come up so often. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's come up a lot. But actually, I, Jen, I think I think is he the first person to actually say the daily show? Possibly. Well, he's yeah. definitely the first person to say the grind, but I think he also <laughs> might be the first person to say the daily show. Well, there you go. Amazingly enough. What do you guys get? Like the commish? What do you guys get? What do you get? <laughs> We, we get, well, no, here's what we generally get. So by the way, first, let's finish this up. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Nick Kroll, we Thank really you, appreciate Nick. it. Yeah, Thank you. Great. Thank you for having me. Um, what we usually get is, I don't know what basic cable is. And by the way. Or we get, I love the Sopranos, which. Or I love the Sopranos, yeah. So Nick Kroll. Always uh, fun and delightful to talk uh, with. And he uh, he really gave us some great insight, I thought, into um, not only, you know, how he's sort of come up with a lot of these shows and characters, but, you know, he's got a, a pretty good view of what goes on behind the scenes as he uh, articulated around his thoughts uh, on streaming. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible that Big Mouth will likely be the longest running Netflix show, at least at least for a while. You know, it's it's been on for for several seasons and. Uh, and I, and I thought it was interesting, too, the way he was he was talking about, like, the process of having to op open up and be vulnerable for Big Mouth has now informed his stand-up comedy as well. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, well, I think also, particularly when you look at it versus what he was doing previously on um, Comedy Central with a show like The Kroll Show, where those characters were kind of like making fun of a certain type of person or mm -hmm. right or a broad sketch of a person and it was funny and fair but you know it feels like he's kind of done that he's and now he's a little more self-reflective and looking at himself and trying to find the humor in his life and in his head right and i mean even some of the voices like the the liz that he did in publicity her voice he kind of uses for lola in big mouth it's right. a little bit different but it's kind of in the same uh same family, same family, same species. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but to your point, like, I think one of the things that's so great about Big Mouth is that, yes, it's it's very raunchy and it is very funny, but it also treats its characters who are primarily, you know, adolescents with respect and with sensitivity. And it does 
you know, I think create a space where you can have a conversation maybe with a, a teenager about some of these issues, even though, you know, they do not, they are very direct and, and very, uh, like I said, it can be pretty um, explicit for, yeah, for and, cartoon. Yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's blunt. You know, it's funny in that regard, it's a little bit like South Park, right? Where mm-hmm. they're using young people to talk about sometimes adult subjects and adult themes, but in a pretty respectful way. And and it all ends up when you're done with it, feeling like you might have learned something on, in, a, in, a, in a really great episode. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's more like The Simpsons and South Park in the okay. sense that I, I do think there's stuff that is genuinely touching in a way that maybe is not so much in South Park. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I was, I was going to say, Jen, that's maybe the great uh, that, you know, you're more Simpsons uh, and I'm more South Park. That might be how we come at life. Oh, interesting. That's <laughs> yeah. that's an interesting analogy. I need yeah. to think about that a little yeah, more. Yeah, I, I want to chew on that one for a while. Yeah, definitely. And maybe that maybe maybe our listeners will too. Well, thanks for hanging around and uh, joining us for Nick Kroll, and uh, we hope you'll join uh, Jen and I next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog, produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't Don't forget forget to follow the show show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.